Good morning. I am so glad to see every one of you here, and even for the ones who are online, even though I can't see you, I am so thankful that you are here with us. Guys, if you will, do me a favor. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. And guys, I um, well, just want to... Today, yes, last week was kind of an intro, but before we really get into this next series, this next sermon series, talking about the hope that is in us, we've got to do a little bit of an attitude check. Attitudes are important. Attitude can determine how your day will go or how your day won't go. Sometimes I don't think we see the importance in an, our proper attitude or the proper attitude that we should have. Last week, we finished up in Matthew 13, talking about the parables. And this week, we will start talking about the hope that is in us. This is a very critical thing to be talking about in the time that we are in. Just to give you a little bit of heads up on where we're going to be going, we're going to be dealing with some real tough subjects. Next week, we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll be answering one question that I know a lot of people have, a lot of people have to us. Can we really trust the Bible that we have today? It's a tough question. A lot of people don't have the proper answers. Next week, I will show you not only from the scripture that we can trust the Bible, but I'll also show you through history how you can trust the Bible that you have in your hand. I don't care what translation it is. The week after that, we're going to be dealing with 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be talking about faith versus culture. This is going to be a very, very touchy subject because we're going to be hitting on a lot of different things. We'll be hitting on homosexuality. We'll be hitting on gender issues. We will be hitting on divorce. And the reason we'll be hitting on these because in chapter 2, there's a lot of scenarios that are laid out that it's funny how they just lay out some of the various situations that we're going through right now. The week after that, we will be dealing with perseverance versus popularity. We'll be reading through 2 Peter chapter 2, or 2 Peter chapter 3, and then we will be finishing up on 4th of July with, a very, with one that's going to be pretty controversial. We'll be coming from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And we'll be dealing with God versus country. Before we get into this sermon series, I want you to know something. I love my country. But I love my God more than I love my country. At the end of the day, I won't have to answer to my country. But I will have to answer to my God. I've even asked our ladies... Because I don't want anybody to take this as an attack on their country. It's not an attack on our country. But it is an attack on our culture over the next couple of weeks. And unfortunately, our culture has brought us to a point that it is causing me to choose. It is causing me to choose between what I truly believe and what many think. It's a hard time we're in. And guys, I'll be honest with you. I'm not saying it's going to get tougher overnight, but there is going to come a time to live the life that we live as a believer will be tough. It will be extremely tough. But like I said, before we get into all that, let's check our attitudes for a minute. Question. 
Whenever somebody verbally attacks you, what's your response? Retaliate. Why do we retaliate? Why do we do it? Because we're being attacked. And we feel like we automatically have to defend ourselves because people are attacking us or sometimes they're just attacking what we believe. When we're being attacked in this retaliation, what, a lot of, what is our attitude a lot of times? What's our emotions a lot of times? What are the feelings that we have a lot of times? Come on, give me some. What's that? Anger. Fear. What's some others? Frustration. Anybody got any more? Hate. Who said hate? Hate's a powerful one. Hate is a powerful one that comes out of us. We don't mean for it to come out of us, but it comes out of us. We get frustrated. We get angry when somebody comes at us verbally. When somebody comes at us physically, we're going to get equally just as aggressive. But I want to ask you a question. And I'm not talking about being a pacifist here, guys. But let's just be honest for a minute. If our reaction to an attack, our attitude and our emotion contradict what this says, what's that say about us? Who said that? Who said we're wrong? How dare you say that about me? I can't believe you would verbally attack me like that. But no, you're true. You're right. If what we feel, if what we do, if what we say, if how we react, the emotions we feel, the hatred that we have, hatred is sin. If it contradicts what this says right here, then we've got to come to one agreement. We're wrong. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. What's funny is, and I found this kind of not humorous, but as I've been studying through 1 Peter and 2 Peter, Peter wrote the scripture that he wrote for specifically a time just like we're in right now. A time to where we feel like we're being verbally attacked. A time to where we feel like we're being pushed back. A time to where we feel like we're being censored. A time to where we feel like what we think, what we believe, and the Savior that we serve is not valued. Peter is writing in this time to both Jewish and Gentile believers. The books of 1 Peter and 2 Peter were written sometime between 63 A.D. and 67 A.D. You're going to need to know that here in just a second. And the one passage that really stuck out to me in my study was 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. But before Peter writes this down, he's instructing believers how to live their life in a hostile world. He talks about workers. He talks about husband and wives. He talks about day-to-day -day living. And all of it leads up to this scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15, read it with me. He says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, 
sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Let me put my finger right here, right? I'm not good at that. Can I just be the first to admit, I'm not good at that. I am good at sarcasm, and I am good at cutting people down. It's just naturally in me. When somebody insults me, my natural reaction is to respond. It's not right, but it's my natural reaction. But not to return insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life, to love and to see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and the ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as your Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense. You might want to underline that right there. Some of you say, be ready to give a reason. To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Pray with me. Father, we would just want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you for all that you've done for us. I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your mercy. I want to thank you for your grace. Father, I want to thank you for the country that you allowed me to be in. I also want to thank you, Lord, as, as we take this weekend to honor those who who paid that ultimate sacrifice. I pray right now, Lord, that you're with their families. As we remember these people who helped pave a way to even allow me to do what I do right here, Lord, I don't take that lightly. Your word told us. Blessed is he who lays down his life for a friend. But Father, we're blessed because many have laid down their lives for us. But even more important than that, Lord, we're blessed and we can be called blessed because you laid down your life for us. You paid that ultimate sacrifice. And because of that, Lord, we know we have a responsibility to you as well. So this morning as we dig into your word, Lord, I, help, I pray, I pray that you will help us to see what it is you have for us through this word for a time in which we live. Peter was instructing the believers of that time how to live in a hostile world. 
And Father, as believers today, we need to be ready to do the same. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us. Thank you for your word. And we just pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what your word has for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One thing that's not a lot of emphasis that is not put on when it comes to reading the Bible is context. Context really matters when you are reading from this scripture. It's always important to know the who, what, why, when, and where. Because this allows you to understand what the writer is talking about. And Paul is talking about some very specific times, guys. Some very specific times that some believers were going through. It was hard. Some of these believers lost their life. But to get you into the context of what's going on, we've actually got to go back a couple of years. Remember I told you that this was written sometime between 63 and 67 AD. We know that because Paul's life was taken, was martyred, in sometime around 68 AD. Quite essentially, so was Paul's. But in 37 AD, a young man by the name of, this wasn't his original name, but a young man by the name of Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus was born. In 54 AD, he became an emperor at the age of 16 after his stepfather, Claudius, passed away. An emperor at the age of 16 is a pretty harsh thing. He had to endure a lot of things. He had to endure a lot of opinions. But Nero had a dream. He had a dream, and his dream was to rebuild Rome to better than it had ever been. At this time, Rome wasn't what we think of when we see the pictures. The Colosseum wasn't even built until somewhere around 80 AD. Most of the places in Rome were still built from wood. But during this time, something very unfortunate happened. On July 19th, 64 AD, a fire broke out in the merchant shops that surrounded the Circus Maximus. The Circus Maximus is where all the chariot races took place. If any of you have seen Ben-Hur, how many of y'all seen Ben-Hur? That was the Circus Maximus where we've seen that, where the chariot races were taking place, where the final chariot race was taking place, and even some of the other uh, movies that you may have seen. But a fire broke out there, but it wasn't just a little fire. This fire spread rapidly throughout the whole city of Rome. By the time this fire was extinguished, two-thirds of the city of Rome laid completely devastated. Now here's the problem with that. A lot of people knew that Nero wanted to rebuild Rome. And they started all these conspiracies Y'all know what conspiracies are, right? You've heard of a couple of them lately, right? Just making sure. But they started all these conspiracies that Nero actually set the fire himself and was happy that the fire was set. We've heard the tale that Pharaoh fiddled while Rome burned in the background. The only problem with that is Nero wasn't even in Rome when the city burnt. 
And the second problem with that is the fiddle was not created until the ninth century. So regardless of what you say or what people say, Nero didn't fiddle while Rome burned. He may have played a lyre. I'm not saying he didn't do it. But he was not even in the city. But day after day, Nero was being attacked. He was being attacked by all the people of Rome. And he felt threatened. Nero knew at the same time that there was a group of individuals. There was a group of people that the citizens of Rome absolutely hated. These people were a threat to their very way of life. These people were hindering the expansion of Rome. These people were the followers of Jesus Christ. So Nero cooks up a clever little scheme. His scheme, I'll tell all the citizens of Rome that the Christians, the believers, the little Christ are the one who set the fire that completely devastated our city. This, they'll believe. And this will get them off my back. Hook, line, and sinker. All the citizens of Rome took the bait. About that time, an open season took place on every Christian believer. Christians were fed as one guy from Harvard, I can't say his name says, but as one guy from Harvard says, Christians were fed to the beast. The beast of those times were mainly lions, some tigers, and a lot of bears. Oh my. (laughs) But at the same time, Christians were crucified, just like Jesus Christ was crucified. One of the most horrible things that I read that they did to Christians during this time, and guys, I wish this is a story that I was making up, but any history book that talks about this event will tell you about the persecution that happened to the Christians after the great fire of Rome. But the worst thing that I read that they did to Christians during this time is they would take them and they would wrap them in these cloths of burlap. And then they would tie them up to these large poles that lined the city streets of Rome. Once they were up there, they would then throw this substance that was similar to what I can figure out to be pitch, pine sap, on them. And at night, they would light these human torches to light the city of Rome up, but also to remind the Christians of the evil that they did not do. With that in consideration, I want you to think about the scripture that was just read. Context is important. A lot of times we read scriptures like this and we think, Scotty, that sounds like something that I've read before. And it is. It is something that you have read before from other writers. But 1 Peter and 2 Peter were wrote in a time of hostility. Some say it was written right before the fires happened, but persecution was still going on. 
Regardless, Peter and Paul, both are martyred sometime around 68 AD. And guess what? Guess who's still in control? Nero. Very harsh time. I can only imagine what they had gone through. But I want us to go back and look at this real quick, one more time. With that in context, what's Peter saying? In verses 8 and 9, he says for us to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Verse 9, he goes on to again say, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to live this out when the whole world is against you? On a daily basis, we all live life with the feeling that the whole world is against us. And a lot of that's just a lot of play up in our mind. But the Christians in this time were literally living in a time when the, where the whole world was against them. You had the Jews, the devout Jews, who were constantly persecuting them day and night. In the city of Jerusalem alone, most people, if you became a believer in Christ, you would lose your job, you would lose your family, you would lose your home, and you would lose everything that belonged to you. And he's telling us to be kind, be tender-hearted, be courteous, be gracious. If they weren't facing persecution from the Jews, they were facing persecution from the Romans. Because like I said, a lot of people saw the Christians as a hindrance. They kept talking about this gospel of love. They kept talking about to surrender your life for the sake of others. They kept telling them to be compassionate and be brotherly, be in brotherly love. But you know the one problem with that? It's hard to advance an empire with love. All the empires that we've ever seen built in our time have been built by what? War. It took a war to advance an empire. It took a war to expand an empire. It took conflict. It took confrontation. It took men sacrificing their lives to build an empire. One of my favorite stories, and I know I've talked about this before, but one of my favorite stories... Is the story of the Ginseng Valley War that took place in Vietnam. The colonel was Colonel Hal Moore. Hal Moore was a very devout man. Some of y'all have seen the movie. I didn't read the book. I, read the, I watched the movie, guys. I'll be honest with you. But I have some, read some other things about it. And Hal Moore tells the story about what takes place when a person is in combat. He talked about how when a, person takes, when a person is actually put in the middle of combat, a lot of things don't seem as important as they did before. How said it's hard to see the value of your country when you're staring down the barrel of an AK-47. 
It's hard to understand the value of your possessions when bullets are whizzing by your head. It's hard to see the value in politics when bombs are igniting all around you. And he stated this. He said, in war, in war, is when an individual realizes what's truly important. And how more even said, it's not your country. It's not your possessions. It's not your government. How more said what is very important is your relationship with God. Because when all this is going on around you, that's the only thing that matters. Peter also tells them to have pity, to be courteous, don't to retaliate, but to bless those who do evil against you. In verses 10 through 12, he tells them to stop their tongues and turn away from evil. He tells them to seek peace and to pursue it. He tells them to remember the source of life, which is the Lord himself. But in verse 15, there's a little bit of a change there. Actually, verses 13 through 15. He tells the believers at that time to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks about the hope in you. The word defense there, and I'm not going to try to bore you with this, but the word defense there actually comes from the Greek word apologia, which is the word that we've come up with apologetics. If you've been in a church for more than a year, if you've been in any circles of Christianity, you've heard the term of apologetics. Some of you may have apologetics Bible. But there's a couple of issues that have taken place over the years about apologetics. The word defense there, while my Bible does say the word defense and some of yours says, uh, the word that really should be there is reason. Because when we think of a defense, what do we think of? We think of a court case. We think of defending ourselves against a hostile front coming at us. But the word apologia actually means to give an understanding or a reason for what you are doing. To give a reason, to give an understanding for what you are doing. Over the years, like I said, apologetics has gotten a bad rap. And I'll tell you the reason it has. Because honestly, it's been done wrong. How many of y'all ever watch one of those YouTube's on uh, one of those videos on YouTube, where you see a devout Christian having an argument with someone who doesn't believe like them? Anybody seen those? Anybody? They're all out there, and you know when I'm watching these, I'm going to be honest with me. A part of me starts to cheer on a little bit. That's right. You go get him. You tell him. Yeah, that's right. Give him the word. But the more you watch these videos, the more you'll start seeing what's really happening. What's really happening is the individual starts to belittle others. My only problem with that is Philippians 2 tells us to consider others above ourselves. We'll see people build up with a build-up pride for their personal knowledge. 
And my problem with that is Ecclesiastes chapter 1 tells us increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. We'll see people doing it in anger. My issue with that is James 1 tells me that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We'll see people doing it and honestly causing people to resent Jesus Christ. My issue with that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells me to be an ambassador for Christ. The reason apologetics is done wrong a lot of times, and this is when we're coming and we're sharing our faith, the reason that apologetics is done wrong is because everybody just reads this one portion where it says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, and they stop there. But what's the next two words that follow? With gentleness and reverence. Can you imagine? Can you imagine standing before a Roman council being accused of a crime that you didn't commit? Knowing that one of three things was about to happen to you? You're going to be fed to some beast. You're going to be crucified. Or you're going to be wrapped in burlap. Doused with pitch. And set on fire while you're still alive. To act as a torch for the city. Can you imagine being put in that position? These people weren't facing verbal attacks. These people weren't facing a difference of opinion. These people, these individuals were facing life and death. And you know what amazes me? We read it time and time and time again. Stephen is being stoned to death. While he's stoned to death, he continues to preach. And he says something that I've only heard or only read of one man, other man saying. Stephen looks up into heaven, he sees the heavens open up and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Why can't I have that same attitude in Atlanta traffic? I was telling somebody the other day, Everybody's on a big kick with concealed carry. I don't conceal carry no more. You want to know why? I'm afraid I'll use it. <laughs> I'm afraid that what is really inside of me will come out. And then what will come out of that barrel will be something that I really can't take back. Why is it that I can't have that same compassion, that same love, for an 80-year-old lady who has no idea what she's doing, cutting me off in the middle of I-85. Why is it that I can't have that same compassion for that lady who doesn't realize how long her buggy is while I'm in line at Ingalls? You know what I'm talking about? Nothing drives me more crazy than to get hit in the back of the hills with a buggy or a stroller. Strollers are even worse. 
So why is it that I can't have that compassion for those individuals for something as simple as that? Why is it I can't have compassion for that individual? And I know we've all got our thoughts about these people who are making all these phone calls. Your warranty's expired on your car. (laughs) We want to update your Google listings for your business. Or, hey, we see that you've got insurance, but we think you need more. You know, I never, I never plot with them. Matter of fact, if I don't know it's them and I answer, I usually hang up pretty quick. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us when we encounter these day-to-day situations and we retaliate with these type of attitudes, and I'm talking about the church retaliating here, guys. I'm not talking about everyday individuals. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people of the church retaliating in this way. Yet Stephen, the martyr, who's having stones thrown at him and killed, can look at these people and say, forgive them, Father. They know not what they're doing. I'm going to try that on I-85 next time I get cut off. Forgive them, Father. She don't even know she's driving. (laughs) Half the time I don't either. And I think it all boils down to what he says there. To give reason for the hope that is in you. What's your hope? What is the hope that is in you? For a lot of people, that can be many things. A lot of people have hope in the stock market. I understand that. Depending on how the stock market goes, depending on how your life here on earth goes. A lot of people have hope in your jobs. Again, I understand that. Because how well your job is going and how much you're making does do something to the life that you are living here. Some people are dependent on politics, have hope in politics. And again, I get that too. There's countries all over the world who are desiring for a political change in their government so it will help the whole country as a whole. I get that. Some people have hope in education. I get that too. They grew up impoverished or they grew up in a situation that they couldn't help and education will help them to live a better life when they're, while they're here. But that's not the hope that this is talking about. And the reason that it's not talking about that hope is because these people who are facing this, let me tell you something. The people of Rome, are these Christians? If they lived in Rome, They probably weren't worried about their house because their house was probably already burnt down. They weren't worried about their chariot, if they even had a chariot, because it was probably burnt with it too. They weren't worried about their job because most of them had lost their job simply for being a believer. They weren't really worried about the politics. And I'll tell you why. Because they had a king. They had a master. They had a savior. And his name was Jesus Christ. 
And he did something that no politician, no governor, no president, no dictator, nor anybody that's ever been in politics did. He gave his life that whoever would believe in him would receive forgiveness of their sins and would inherit inherit a life away from this earth better than this earth can ever offer. Attitude and perspective mean everything when it comes to hope. How many of y'all planning on cooking out this week? Anybody cooking out? Yeah, about everybody. Hot dog on this side, steak on this side, which you want. I'm with you, yeah. Okay, let's do something else. Let's do something a little bit grosser. Potted meat on this side. My small group's going to experience potted meat tonight for the first time. Potted meat on this side. Filet mignon on this side. Which do you want? Filet mignon is the best steak you'll ever eat in your mouth. You get it cut about two inches thick. It is buttery. It melts in your mouth. It is good. You know what gets me? If you were to compare those two to heaven and the earth, the earth would be potted meat and heaven would be filet mignon. Why is our hope in a can of potted meat? It doesn't make no sense. And when we look at it that way, because that's what these people understood. They were facing life or death. They were facing living here for a short moment of time and being present with God in just a few minutes. But even in that, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Why? Because that's different. That's different. When that lady hits me in the back of the hills at Ingalls, what do you think she's expecting? What do you think she's expecting from me? Nope. She's expecting me to lash out. She's expecting me to lash out. When that guy, I'm going to leave the 80-year-old lady alone, but when that guy cuts me off in I-85, what's he expecting? He's expecting a salute. (laughs) When that guy on the phone calls me to renew a warranty on my car that's been gone for three years, what do you think he's really expecting? Honestly, he's probably expecting to be hung up on. But what if we're different? What if we're different? What if when that lady hits you in the back. You're as polite and loving as kind as can be. What if when that guy who cuts you off, who's waiting on a salute, gets this instead of the other one? Not going to do the other one. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? You're going down 85, cut somebody off, you look over, expect something. Love you. Just 
You know what people are going to start asking if you're doing that? Tommy, what's up with that boy? Is something wrong with him? Is he on drugs? I cut him off and he told me I love, uh, he loves me. I hit him in the back of the hills and he was actually nice. Carried on a conversation with me. You know what that does to people? That intrigues them. They want to know, why is it that you're not giving the response that I feel like I deserve? Why is it that you're not giving the response that everybody else in this world gives me? Why is it that when I'm expecting hostility, you're showing me love? It's because 1 Peter and 2 Peter are all about us being different. And you know what happens when you're different? People want to know why you're different. Why do you smile so much? Why are you always so nice to me? Why do you say nice things to me when I say harsh things to you? What's different about you? And that's when the door opens for you to be able to give the reason for the hope that is in you. And you know what they don't want to hear about? They don't want to hear about your politics. They don't want to hear about your opinion. A lot of them, you go to another country, they don't want to hear about your country. Because I don't know if y'all know this, the rest of the world pretty much hates us. So what do they want to know about? They want to know about something tangible. They want to know about something that's real. They want to know about something that can change them no matter what is going on in their little life or no matter where they are at. They want to know about the gospel. They want to know about the hope that is in you. And if your hope resides in this world, then your hope ends with this world. But brothers and sisters, you need to know this. My hope is in Jesus Christ. I pray your hope's in Jesus Christ. And when this world is over, my hope has just begun because my hope is all of eternity. And it does not matter what takes place here, but it does matter what took place on the cross. That is where my hope resides. And that is what people want to hear. We always talk about this discussion of hope and faith. And I want to ask you these two questions. One of them's probably already been up there. What hope? What hope is in you guys? What hope is really in you? And then the next question is going to be one. It's kind of a lot of the ellipsis test. Is your hope proof of your faith. Let me show you where I got this. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And just follow along with me. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bonilla, I knew that one's going to hit me, um, Buford, <laughs> started with a B, who 
are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullness in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the gospel. To have attained an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for who? For you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for your salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. The protection that he's talking about here, guys, is not a protection of your body, it's a protection of your soul. Understand that. It's not a protection of your body, it's protection of your soul. Your body is not designed to live forever. Your soul is created in the Maggio Day. It will live for eternity. But he goes on to say, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. For that, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Tommy. Two questions. Where's your hope? And I mean this. I want you to do some honest searching. Where's your hope? What is your hope in? Your job? I get it. I really do, guys. I get it. Your politics? Again, I get it. Your education? Again, I get that. Your possessions? Yeah, I can understand that. But at the end of the day, when this world ends, all those are gone. Those are perishable. Those are perishable. But what's not perishable is your soul. Your soul will go on to live forever. And depending on where your hope is, that can determine a lot. If your faith is in Jesus as Lord, Master, and Savior, for the hope of what he did on the cross by taking the punishment for your sin and dying for it, if your hope is in that, you will spend all eternity with him. If your hope is not in that, you will still live in eternity. Completely separated from God's presence, but forever present in His wrath. In a place that some call the lake of fire, some call Hades, some call Shoal. Most of us know it is a place we call hell. It's not a scare tactic. I'm not trying to scare you. 
But I am trying to warn you. If your hope is in anything other than Jesus, that is your eternity. Well, Scotty, how do I know? How do I know my faith is real? You know your faith is real because your hope is proof of your faith. Which brings me to my next question. Is there enough evidence in your life that you won't even have to give a defense to others why you believe? For most of us, even your pastor, I'll be honest, there's not enough evidence there. I'm lacking in every single way. But it just shows me where I need to do better. When that lady cuts me off, if y'all do that, please YouTube it, please. When that lady hits me in the heels, love on her. When that gentleman calls you about auto insurance or a car warranty, if you've been praying for God to put an opportunity for you to share Jesus with somebody and do it over the, you can do it over the phone right there. I promise you this. They're either going to reject Jesus, they're going to receive Jesus, but they're probably never going to call you back again. (laughs) Is there enough evidence, guys? Is there enough evidence of your faith for the proof of the hope that is in you? Father, this morning, dig into some deep scripture, Lord, and it's going to get deeper. But at the same time, Lord, we know that your word is true. We know that your word is faithful. We know that your word was given to us so that it could change us from the inside out. And Father, that's what we're asking. We're asking for you to help us to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us. We're asking for that hope to be proof of the faith that we have in you. But we're also asking, Lord, that during times that we may not know, We may not understand it, Lord. We may not understand why we're going through the situations that we're going through. We know that you are putting us in these situations for our growth, but ultimately, Lord, for the expansion of your gospel because that is why we are here. We are here, Lord, to exalt you. We are here to proclaim your name. We are here as ambassadors to you. And Father, we need help in doing it. So this morning, Lord, I don't know how you're leading people this morning. Whether you're calling them to salvation or whether you're just calling them to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in you. You draw your children. Draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. However God's responding, however God's hitting you this morning, respond. As we stand and as they sing, come to the altar. Kneel down and pray where you're at. Regardless, you heard the word of God. Now respond.